I think that that guys have a harder time being able to slow the game down, being able to understand the game, being able to have, like I said, that how to win awareness and figure out what do I need to do in this moment for us to win. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Sniper, the Southpaw and the Old Game. My name is Joshua Mickles, and I'll be your host for this episode, along with my brother, Kyle Mickles. And I wanted to take this opportunity on episode one to give a thanks to the baseball community. As a United States Marine Corps sniper for the last 12 years, I'm beginning to transition to the next chapter of my life, and the baseball community has been extremely welcoming to myself and my family. A special thanks especially to the University of San Diego and their staff, headed by Coach Brock Ungrich. Everything that I have learned about baseball over the last year and a half has been nothing but attributed to the success and the knowledge of that staff. So thanks again to the University of San Diego, and thank you to all of you out there in the baseball community. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. I know we did, and we look forward to making many more for you guys in the future. Hello, baseball world. Welcome to your first episode of The Sniper, The Southpaw, and The Old Game. My name is Joshua Mickles, and I'm here with my brother Kyle Mickles, and we're going to be your host for today's episode. Today's episode is going to cover a little bit about why we started this podcast, why we got into it, and what made it so special for us to really make sure it was something that we were able to do. It's really interesting to me. I think uh, my career in baseball has been one that's very traditional, played you know, growing up all Little League, high school summer ball select stuff, went to college, played uh, junior college baseball at Hill College in Texas, also played at a a Southern University for a year in Baton Rouge and then at Louisiana Lafayette for three years. So a guy who had a little bit of a, um, you know, I jumped around a little bit. I was transferring a bunch before the transfer portal was cool. Um, And so, and then went into coaching as a, you know, as my profession. So I'm in year 14 as a coach, 10 years as an assistant coach, four years as a head coach, currently an assistant uh, at a big 6A school in, in the DFW area. Uh, and so uh, my, my my path in baseball has been one that's very uh, traditional. Um, and then here's a guy, my brother, who's uh, obviously we've grown up together. We're very similar, but his path of baseball is completely different. And so what we've found is it's created a lot of unique give and take, unique back and forth um, from maybe me thinking the things traditionally versus him who's coming in with a brand new perspective. And so we just think that we have something to offer from uh, the way we, we, we digest the, the game, the way we see the game growing, the way the questions that we have about the game. And um, being that we're brothers, there's going to be some banter. There's going to some, be some back and forth. And uh, we think that there's just something to, to offer the the listener. Yeah, and that's how we get the South Pole. And then obviously – you know, how you briefly mentioned the sniper. I mean, that's me. And, you know, I played freshman baseball, made made the team my freshman year at high school and, uh, you know, kind of had a little bit of a difficult upbringing with my parents being divorced, our parents being divorced, obviously, right, right before then. And yeah, that was a good time. Uh, yeah, real, real good time. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't play baseball after my freshman year, had a little bit of a uh, maybe a, a negative impact on the team and and with my coach and I wasn't really invited back, if you will, back to the team. And so I kind of moved on and I ended up joining the Marine Corps after my senior year of high school. And then I did 12 years as a force recon scout sniper. And in that time, I really was able to dissect a lot of how to master the mental game, how to perform in high stress environments. You know, it's it's you got to have a special approach to a situation when you're jumping out of an airplane or diving into a mission or you know, running 12 miles than having to do something. And, you know, I really, like you mentioned, I feel like my outlook is a little bit different to the game just due to the fact that I look at it more of a stressful situation that can be conquered versus a something that's necessarily physically demanding. Because I honestly believe we can have a lot of guys that can be successful in baseball physically, but it's the mental game that really holds them back. And that's really what I like to tackle as the uh, at the mental skills portion of the of the game. Well, and I think that, I mean, that part's everything. It's the old Yogi Bear quote, right? That, you know, 90% of baseball is half mental or whatever the hell he said. I don't even know. He's, he's been dead for a while. But, uh, but we all know that. We all get the gist of that quote and understanding about what this game is supposed to look like from a physical standpoint, but knowing that it's the mental part of it that, that wears people smooth out. I mean, the game that the general idea of the game is exceptionally simple. Throw the ball, catch the ball, hit the ball in some sort of order like that. And, 
and see what happens. But but the execution of it is incredibly difficult. The game inside the game piece of it incredibly thorough. It takes years and years and years for guys to see it, to see and to understand it. And so, definitely, if any kind of any kind of jump into that where we can start looking at. You know what makes people tick, and the 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 why, the thought process. The, you know, the, the further we can deep dive into all that is going to just open the door up for a lot more discussion about that thing. I mean, we our whole country's in a place right now where we're talking about mental health, we're talking about how the brain works, we're talking about how to overcome different failures, different ideas, different thoughts, different processes, and and so it's it's natural that that's only going to bleed into our sports, and it's and, and obviously that evolution is going to take it right into baseball. Such a mental game, such a such a, a game that just absolutely gets in your head and will just eat your soul if you let it and so um if you if you're able to be strong enough mentally you got you got such a great chance no matter what your skill set is obviously having a skill set to play the game at a high level is is paramount but but you can you can advance past a guy pretty quickly if you can keep your freaking stuff together and while that guy's just losing his mind all over the place yeah, and I completely agree with that. And then, you know, additionally, we've talked about it plenty of times. I firmly believe baseball does its own injustices to itself. You know, we've talked about a lot to, about the ratio to games versus practice in baseball and how it's 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 hands down the worst that it is anywhere else um, in sports. And, you know, when you look at that and we look at uh, why we don't offer – more practice time or why do we put so much stress on the player? It it really makes you think, okay, well, no wonder why it's so mental. We're making these guys perform, you know, 80% of the time versus really getting a chance uh, to practice and grow themselves and, you know, get to that level where they can, they can absolutely develop. Okay. Well, but here's the thing. And this is a paradox to what you're saying is, and you can see this, in a lot of different mediums on social media, talking to guys is that people realize that. And now the training models have become so uh, intense and specific in whether it be creating exit velocity, whether it be creating pop times, whether it be creating, you know, better fastball doing driveline type things. So it's almost becoming where the training has become the game and everybody wants to make these these videos of them throwing a hundred miles on pull downs or hitting ridiculous you know, exit velocity type pitches and training models that that we've almost overcorrected in in some regard, and so guys are focusing so much now on the training piece of it that I think they're actually losing some of the the competitiveness when it comes to applying the skill into a game with some how to win awareness. Because now it's about how far can I hit a baseball, how hard can I throw this baseball, how fast can I run around the bases, and and so we've created this model where. Now we're training the crap out of them, and the training is great. From the, the the talent on baseball fields has never been better than it is right now at all levels. The talent is absolutely bananas. I, my my last year was two thousand and seven, playing at the University of Louisiana Lafayette. I wasn't very good. I was a costume wear as opposed to a player. I mean, I, I was good enough to just make the team, but that was that's a big time division one baseball school. We were nationally ranked that year for the most part of the year. I was good enough to at least be on the 25 man roster. I don't think I can make a division three team or any division three team. That's not a knock on them, but just, I wouldn't have been good enough with what I was doing back then to be able to make any team now. And it, and it, and it's, that's a, a, that's praise to the evolution of the skills and the training that's going on. But I don't think guys know how to take that, they, they train so hard and they focus so much on that piece of it and they're playing so many games, but there there's, there's a huge disconnect. I, I feel like, and maybe this, the old man yells at clouds at me now that I'm pushing 40 years old. I think that, that guys have a harder time being able to slow the game down, being able to understand the game, being able to have, like I said, that how to win awareness and figure out what do I need to do in this moment for us to win as opposed to, what do I need to do in this moment on this 3-1 pitch to try to hit the ball out of the park and be able to put that on Twitter, put that on Instagram, put that on a recruiting site, whatever the case might be for, for their, for their brand, right? Their clout, their, their, you know, them being able to sell that. So I wonder, you know, I, I, how much are guys really locked in trying to, I'm going to do everything I can to win this game right now versus I'm going to do everything I can in this moment right now to, to push my brain and make myself, you know, look like a better baseball player. And I, and I, and, and I think that that's a hard way to play the baseball. I mean, I really think it's a hard way to do it. 
Well, now let me ask you this. As a coach and as a head coach that has made the playoffs three times out of three times as a head coach and a guy that's been fairly successful as a, as a coach, how much time do you spend teaching the game of baseball versus instructing a kid on how to be better at baseball? Let me refine that question even a little bit more. You know, we had some guys on the bench last year at USD that were struggling with finding their purpose. They didn't know what they could do to help the team when they weren't starting, when they weren't playing. And I challenged them with finding a way to learn the game. Find a way to listen in. Go stand as close as you can to the coach during the game and try to see what he's seeing and try to think about the game one step ahead of him. Because if you can learn the game and then you earn the starting spot and you're a step ahead of your coach in what you want and what he wants, you're going to be and the team is going to be so much more successful. So how much do we actually teach the game of baseball? So I can speak for myself. A lot of of what I experienced at the high school level, a lot of – I think – as high school coaches, we want to uh, pick fights a lot of time with the select, with the club model, because we, we think what they're doing is they're just focusing on the training piece. They're focusing on exit velocity and launch angle and 100-mile-an-hour pulldowns and how fast can I throw a fastball in a game, how much you know, how much vertical break can I get on my slider in a game. They're, they're focusing on that aspect of it when the reality is it's not necessarily true. They want the same things we do. They want to create good baseball players. They want guys that can win, but they're, they're – I, I think their focus is different. They know that what a college wants to see is a guy bash balls off the wall with a hundred miles an hour or show off a rocket launcher off the bump. I mean, that's, and that's, and that's what, that's what gets guys signed, but that's not what gets them on the field once they are in college. And I, and, and so even though there's this disconnect between what high school coaches feel like they're doing and what club and select coaches feel like they're doing there, I, I think there's a really a good way to, to glue it all together. I think for us, we're doing most of what we do at the high school level is really teaching the game. And that could be, you know, two strike approach, how to, you know, difference between when we need to push bun versus when we need to drag bun difference between, Hey, I'm at first base. I'm trying to get a jump on this pitcher. What am I looking for? What am I reading? How am I going to get comfortable trying to, trying to steal second, Um, how to get a secondary lead from second base, how to, how to read up down uh, when we're at third base and see ball up, see ball down from third, uh, getting to read it there. Uh, pitchers, how to hold runners, how to be quick to the plate, how to move your pitches around, how to, how to not just necessarily throw your see if you can throw your best fastball right down the middle, but how the how do we really want to set up hitters? You know, you know what does an up and in fastball? What it, if I'm if I throw that pitch and it's for a ball? What does that now create? What are my other options? What what did I learn about the hitter teaching a catcher? If he, if we really want them to understand the game, we want that catcher to ultimately be able to call his own game and not just call it just randomly picking pitches, but really giving him a system to learn to understand. And so, you know, if 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 we if we miss with an up and in fastball, what kind of information did we learn from the hitter in that moment to help create the next pitch to set up the next pitch and not just throwing pitches out because uh, well I've thrown three fastballs now now it's a good time to throw a breaker. Well, is it only a good time to throw a breaker because? you just want to show it off right now and you're trying to be cute or do you actually really have a reason why you think you can get a guy out with that pitch in this moment? And so really focusing on that piece. And so I think that if high school baseball and select baseball quit bickering so much about what's going on with their guys or, or how reach developing our guys and, and maybe uh, I think there's a, there's a way to come together on that deal. And, and again, that's, they're not there right now. Like I, we, we just mentioned it, you know, these guys will play so many games in the summer, so many games in the fall, and they're just worried about getting their ABs and trying to, you know, how hard can I throw? Can I lift the ball? How many hits can I get? If we win, great. If not, okay, whatever. And then they come to us, and we have to really dive into the teaching of the game piece of it. I, I can't tell you how many guys that I've seen, we, we get them as freshmen, and they might be playing – 50, 60, 70, 80 games a year going into their freshman year of high school, and they have no clue how to play baseball. They know how to get us, they know how to make, you know, get lift on the ball when they swing, or they know how to show off a good fastball off the bump, but they really have zero clue about how to play the game. And so I think that's the part that drives high school coaches crazy. The part that drives select coaches crazy is the idea that. You know they're trying to get guys signed. They're trying to they're trying to show off the training idea that to to show that hey, this is how we're going to develop your player into 
a more skilled player. And there are two differences there. And we got to be able to, as a baseball community, we got to be able to figure out how to get comfortable with that part of it. And I think the ones that are really good at it, the good high schools, the really good club select programs are outstanding at that piece of it. The problem is there's a lot that aren't. And it's affecting people and their development, not only the training development, but also the just understanding how to play the game of baseball. Because you can learn the rules of baseball in five minutes, but it's such a nuanced game that it takes you your whole life to really learn how to play it. And even then, you could be in this game 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, and you'll still see new stuff happen all the time because that's what this game is. It's so it's like chess, in my opinion. You can learn how to play chess in two minutes but you're going to see a million different things and you'll never see the same thing twice. And, and we've got to be able to kind of be able to bridge all those things together to be able to continue to grow our players to where there's not going to be a deficiency somewhere. Well, and like, and what I like to do is, or what I like to think is the best solution to this problem is when you teach your concepts of the game, first and third defense, bunt defense, uh, delay steal, uh, PFPs, you know, your different approaches for your, your hitting. I think when you're breaking into those concepts, you teach why the concepts are important and how they're applicable. And then you also apply them in that setting. Because one of the biggest things that I've seen, you know, around the baseball world and really just in, in, in teaching in general is very rarely does the instructor teach the student, how to correct the things that they're going to deal with on a daily basis. Everything's kind of broad stroke, right? Like who's really bringing a guy in saying, breaking down, you know, why he's not seeing a breaking pitch well, or why he's not getting the mechanics that he wants, or why he's not able to um, attack the mental game the way that he wants to. And I find it hard to understand why we're not giving that developmental tips to players I see guys in the cages all the time after hours. And if you're not familiar, college baseball has very strict timelines on how often you can work with kids, right? You got 20 hour weeks, 40 hour weeks, and you really got to, you know, find how you're going to put the best amount of time uh, to your players. And I see players in the cages for hours and hours after practice. And I go over there and I look at them and, you know, they're just doing the same drills and I ask them what they're doing. And they're just, you know, oh, I'm feeling the ball, I'm feeling the bat, whatever. I'm just trying to work on this. But, they don't really have a good approach to what they're trying to fix because I believe they don't know how to do it, right? They don't have that ability, especially for college players. You might not have that ability to go to your private trainer in the middle of a season, or you might not even be able to go to your coach because we're past NCAA required hours of working with you. And you need to be able to understand how to develop yourself through those problems. And I feel like that's also a step in you need to learn that in high school and college because once you get to the pros, no one cares about how well you do more than you do, obviously, right? And the only person that's there to help you is yourself. You got to reach out for help. You can maybe get early work in with some hitting coaches or some fielding work in. But at the end of the day, it's on you. So how do I overcome that developmental hurdle if it's never been taught to me? And I see what you're saying because you're you're breaking down a micro level task in a drive line or you know, a hitting camp or whatever, but that's not helping you fix an everyday problem. That's not giving you drills to do to sustain success, right? We're not learning, you know, when you do any other job in the world, you kind of start understanding, okay, this doesn't work, this works, and these things are things that I can work with in my baseline to make me successful, right? You can learn that very, very fast. But I feel like in baseball, we don't teach that as much as we do in other sports. Why do you think that is? I. It's a really good question. I, I I think that, and first of all, you're right about the idea that that any player, any person is going to be their own best coach, their own best teacher, and you've got to seek out information. You've got to seek out, you know, what's out there and what's available. And I think that that's something that that's a plus in today's day and age is is there's no information that's going unnoticed or unknown. Like it's out there if you want to search hard enough for it. Like I think about when I. When I was in high school, late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, you basically had the people who coached you and that was it. There was internet stuff, but it it wasn't enough to like really get good information off of at that point. You know, people weren't just sharing all different ideas, different thoughts, different 
styles, you know, none of that. And I will applaud the baseball community in this regard is uh, there's a lot of people who are willing to share a lot of stuff. You know, there's there's a lot of people who are trying to grow the game the right way, and they're they're not trying to necessarily hide anything to keep somebody else from succeeding because they've got you know the magic the magic recipe, the secret sauce, whatever. And so, I, you know, I, I think that, that that part is something that that is a great benefit to kids, but they also have to understand that they can't get overwhelmed and overloaded by all of it. Ultimately, they are responsible for their career. They are responsible for the output that they're going to get from their input. And so they have to, I think they have to get to a place where they're comfortable taking in as much information as they can, but also not feeling obligated or pressured or, you know, like, because we've done a good job of getting away from some cookie cutter type things, but it still exists and it's still out there. And and a coach is going to coach away he thinks is right or what's comfortable with him or he, things that he knows he's seen has helped guys be successful. But it, it, there's nothing about that automatically guarantees that it works for the next guy. That's why at the professional level, you'll see each organization has 57 different roving instructors for each for fielding, hitting, pitching, you know, so to have different voices to see who they might be able to connect with, which players might be able to take that information. But, but we, we can get in a problem where we start information overload, especially with a young kid who, kids are pleasers they want to listen they want to get better they want to they want to do right by what you're saying but they they also become robots to certain coaches to certain to where they they lose their feel for the game they lose their feel for competing because they're so focused on trying to remember a specific cue trying to remember a specific movement instead of you know just you can train how you want, prepare how you want, but when it comes down to when it comes time for the game, when it's time to to lace them up and get after it, like you you just gotta go. You can't you can't get loaded down and bogged down by trying to remember all these different things or these different cues and these you know, you you gotta just be a dog and go play. And so uh, you know, I think that the that that's a big problem that we have. I don't know necessarily what the what the answer is to to get on the other side of that, but but I think that that's that's you know, that's something that has its pros and has its minuses. Well, and, you know, you say that and and I think any coach that uses a cookie cutter approach to a player is automatically starting in the negative category because no one is the same between the years. Everybody perceives the game differently. And one of my first questions when a guy's going through a slump or having a hard time on the mound or whatever is, you know, I bring him to lunch or I bring him to dinner or I bring him to her coffee or or whatever is, I ask them, how are they perceiving what they're going through? I want to know what how they are looking at the problem set that they are going through and through what lens. And that's going to help me tailor my approach to their, their overcoming that and to their hope future success. And I'll never forget it. I took this into, you know, my strategy last year and you told me about a former player of yours and you know, he he was struggling and and he was looking at leaving the game of baseball and he said and, and you kind of said, "Hey man, like why don't you go ahead and just approach the game how you want to approach it and, and go out on your terms, right? Hey, you do what you got to do to be successful and, and don't listen to all the stuff that all these people are flooding your head with and take what you want from it, but at the end of the day, if, if, if you're going to be successful, it's going to be based off of what you're going to do. So you take that. And I'm not going to lie. I've told that to almost every one of the players that I've mentored and coached uh, over the last year is, is that exact thing. Like, hey, I'm going to tell you a lot of things. It doesn't mean you got to listen to any of them. Maybe you can take one or two of them away and use them as a tool in your toolbox later on as we as you grow through this and you identify some of the problems we're, we're, uh, we're talking about. But by no means, you need to go implement every single thing that I'm telling well, you because impossible. the last it's impossible. Right, well, right. And and that's and that's one of the biggest flaws that we have as coaches though, right? We give them too much information. We wanna we wanna correct all the problems the player has instead of really helping them identify maybe one or two that we can tackle um, you know, in each practice or whatever. Uh, it's it's just a common flaw from from coaches and instructors and good human beings in general is hey man, I want you to be successful and I want you to know everything I can know. But at the end of the day that can be kind of hard for a player that's trying to listen to maybe two or three different coaches that want to give them all of their ideas at once and it really bogs them down. Well, I think that that's, that's the difference between baseball, maybe a soccer, you know, baseball and soccer compared to 
say basketball, football, maybe some other sports is, is as coaches, we really do want to control what happens. We feel like we can do enough to control a game, control a player, control, 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 control to where we can, we can get ourselves to wins. And baseball is not a coach's, it's not a coach controlled sport. It's a player sport. And ultimately our, our biggest thing is we've got to get them on that field thinking that they can do it, believing that they're good enough giving them a plan for how to compete at the different things that they're going to see. You know, the, the worst thing you can ha- that can happen in any sport is something happened to a kid in a game and he doesn't know how to fix it. He doesn't have, you know, he, he doesn't have that, that prior training, that prior knowledge, that prior idea or somebody to see it for him doesn't have that. And then we're going to start flailing. You see it. I've coached football for a long time too. And you, you, you'll see that sometimes in a football game, games happening fast. You might not, you might be missing on something, but a player keeps getting his butt beat and he doesn't know why it's happening. Nobody can tell him why it's happening. And you start, you start seeing that breakdown. You start seeing that frustration. And so, uh, but that'll happen in baseball just as easily, you know, and, and, um, and so we've got to be able to arm them with that information, that the, those training models, to be able to create that confidence. Because ultimately, once it's time to roll the ball out, all they're going to have is their belief in themselves that they can handle the situations that are going to come up for them. And, and either they believe that or they don't. And it's really that cut and dry. And you can go 0 for 4 in a game with four ugly punch outs and still believe that you know what you need to do to be able to execute and to be able to win this game and stay in it. Or those four punch outs now make you question your whole existence in the game. And so the guys who last the longest, and we all know this, the guys who last the longest can go 0 for 4 with four punch outs and know exactly why it happened and be able to, it might be a, a, a tweak, it might be just a little thing. And they're right back in the game versus that guy who doesn't know why it happened, and now it's another, and now it's zero for four the next day. You know that that guy who goes zero for four turns it into zero for eight, turns it into errors in the outfield. Does you know he starts to starts to melt down a little bit because he doesn't know how to fix the problem, right? And so our biggest job is just arming those kids and giving them the tools they need mentally physically to where they can figure it out on their own. You know, the best question you can ask a kid in any situation when it's, when you're practicing, when you're working a drill, when you're going through a movement pattern is what does it feel like? How does it feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? What did that feel like? What did that feel like? Cause a lot of times, you know, I think kids can be victims of overcoaching dependent, especially when you're, you know, you're, you're growing up and there is so much information. There's so much overload and I can't tell you how many times, you know, a kid will take a swing, he misses, and then he asks me, like, well, what was wrong with that swing? Uh, you missed the ball, dude. That's what's wrong with the swing. Like, don't <laughs> – it might be as simple as that. Like, you're – you know, it's almost like they want they want you to say, well, you know, you didn't get your foot down at this amount of time or your shoulder was in a little bit or I saw your hands drop. Like, <laughs> they, that's what they want because they think that there's, like, right. this magic answer that – Oh, if I just do this now, then I'm fine. But it, it's not the case. It's like, all right, well, what, what what happened, Coach? Why did I miss that ball? Well, you tell me. What did it feel like? What what do you what do you think happened? Or and then get them thinking, get them talking about it. Because if they can start thinking it, start talking it, you're gonna get them out of that robot mindset, and also get them out of that mindset where they're looking for somebody to bail them out. Like you can't bail a kid out into success. Like that's not a thing. You can't. It's impossible. Like they've got to be able to to roll up their sleeve and figure it out and, and find a way to grit them, you know, have some grit and get themselves out of it and get themselves going and and then, you know, not not worry about what the result's gonna be, not worry about, you know, what could be going wrong and just have some feel for what's going on and being able to to compete with that confidence. And so um, you know, I think I, I think we've got to be able to get to a place where uh, you know, that kid feels good about what he's doing and can just go. You know, you bring up two things that, um, you know, I, I definitely take a little bit more of an unorthodox approach to. And the first one I like to call subconscious confidence. Um, and for me, subconscious confidence is it's about the work you put in before you ever hit the field. When you have subconscious confidence, you have the, you already know that, 
you're going to make that play. You already know that you're going to perform extremely well um, in you know that specific environment because you've trained so hard, because you know that you've done it a million times and that you're going to be successful. So for me, that subconscious confidence is, hey, I might have gone over four today, but I know if I get one more at bat, I'm going to do well because I know that I've put in the work to do well. I know that I understand that baseball is a game that, you know, going one for four is a decent day. So can I use that subconscious confidence to assist the mental skills and the tools that I have to be successful? And I think that's so important uh, when you look at being able to overcome an error or overcoming, you know, giving up a home run or striking out is knowing that I have put in the work where you don't see subconscious confidence is in the lazy guys or in the guys that, you know, are kind of just figuring it out. Right, right. You talk about the booby miles kind of guys, right? That it's like, hey, I don't put in a lot of effort, but it works out. But how long is that going to work for? You know, where I don't know if it's going to necessarily produce results, but I'm hoping that I'm gifted enough to do it. And if that sounds familiar to anybody you knew back in high school. Um, Yeah. So, (laughs) and myself, right? And so, um, you know, the other thing is, I always tell coaches, this is a big thing that I worked with with our pitching coach this year, is, you know, he'd be observing a bullpen or live ABs and we'd be standing behind the pitcher and uh, a pitcher hits his zone, right? Or does whatever, has a good pitch. And uh, our pitching coach would go, good, that's good. And I, I turn around, I whisper to him, I say, hey, why are, you, why are you saying that's good? He's like, well, it was good. It was a good pitch. And I'm like, well, what, what about it was good? Did you like his arm slot? Did you like his leg kick? Did you like where the ball ended up? Did you like the rotation? Like, what did you like about the pitch? He's like, well, it was a good pitch. I'm like, well, don't just say good because what we're now doing is we're tying an emotional response to a result. And what I mean by that is a pitcher can throw, you know, a breaking pitch and it can be in the zone and it could be everything that he wanted and it could be a good pitch, you know, per se, but it's hit over the fence. But then a guy could throw a breaking pitch out of the zone that's a ball in the dirt, but the pitcher, the, the hitter swings at it. And that's also a good pitch. So one of the biggest things I always said was stop doing the constant verbal affirmation of something being good. Every swing at BP, good, that's good. I like that, that's good. What do you like? Instead of doing that, and a tip that you can do is wait until the drill is over, wait till his five pitches or that at bat or that round of BP is over. And then as he comes out of the cage or off the mound, you say, hey, I really liked how you commanded your curveballs. I really like how you were able to extend that elbow or how you were able to get into your launch position early. These are things that I liked about what you just did instead of always saying good. Because then when you don't say good, whether or not you were distracted or he didn't do something good, now he's again tying that result to emotional response. And that really deteriorates the player's confidence when he's executing the task. Because guess what? If a hit, if a hitter hits a blooper to third base and the third baseman can't get to it, and it's a base hit, that's good. But if we were in BP and he did that, would you say, good, that's good? No, you wouldn't. But that's how that emotional attachment could really hinder a guy's development when you're talking about, especially nowadays, how humans almost require that reinforcement of positive mentality mm-hmm. or they really the need affirmation. It, you know? Yeah. I need to know that I'm doing good coach. And if I'm not doing good, I need the answers right now. What well, do I need to fix? So, so I think that that's, that's been the evolution of so many guys paying hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars to go to private instructors, to play on all these teams. They're, they're looking for that next thing. They're looking for that information, but they need that affirmation. They need somebody they basically need to pay them a hundred dollars to tell them that they're doing a good job is what it almost becomes. And, you know, quite honestly, all that stuff, obviously you got to develop, you got to train kids are young. They don't know what to do. They need somebody for that. I, all that's fine. Right. But, but, but the, like I said, the evolution of it is we've created a whole bunch of baseball players that they, they, they can't decide on their own if something's good or bad. Like you, you bring up that example of pitching coach saying good after every pitch. Well, Let's get the pitcher saying it or pitcher saying crap pitch, you know, get him saying it, get him thinking. I, I know uh, it's been several years now, but I think 
and I don't, this isn't my opinion that most of the baseball world will tell you that Dan Heefner over at Dallas Baptist is one of the best college baseball coaches in America. He was at a, he's at a small school, but that dude's legit. And I remember hearing him talk, um, and he said one of the, when a kid makes a mistake the first time, no matter what they're doing, they don't say anything. They give that kid a chance to correct it on his own before they come in and start coaching it. So if I see a kid do something and it's crap, I'm not going to say anything because he doesn't need me to say it right now. He needs to decide on his own how to fix it. If he if the second time comes around, he still can't fix it, now we'll jump in. Now we'll interject something. But, again, because we're coaches and we want to control things, we have egos. We feel like we have the, the secret solution, the magic sauce. We're, we're going to say, well, hey, just do da 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 do this, this, and this. And it's not always necessarily the case. It's it's that kid right now. What does he feel like? What is it? What's going on in his mind? Does he does he have the skills to be able to correct it? Because a lot of times, so it's, it's this is a hard game. There's going to be a lot of times where you just suck at it. Now, but we don't have to just jump in right now with that band aid or with that with that. Hey, baby, it's okay. I'm going to fix it right now. I'm going to kiss that boo boo and let's make it all better. No, like you sit in your freaking mess for a little bit you figure it out if you can't figure it out after the second or third time now now i'm here more of just kind of as as extra support i'm the emergency shoot you know like you got to figure it out on your own and if you can't then i'll be here for you but we've got to be able to again that's creating baseball players that's that's our job right is to develop create these baseball players we don't want to create robots who just come to us look anytime there's adversity they they run right to us looking for an answer it's like no they've we've we've equipped them for to get them to be able to figure it out themselves and if they can't after a few times now we're there now we'll we'll help pick up the pieces to where almost the the teaching becomes small and the learning becomes big because everybody like i said before is their own best coach their own best teacher you know I, i've been a teacher for a long time too and i've learned this too no nobody learns anything from their teachers. They learn it from themselves. And what I mean by that is I can sit here and regurgitate information after information after information to you, but that's not going to do anything to you until you get interested, until you decide that you want to learn it. So my job as a teacher is to try to create a spark in that kid to get him interested in what we're talking about, because then once they're interested, now they can deep dive on their own and start learning things. Like people learn things. They, their people are self-taught. Like me saying all kind of things to you does nothing until you start. So my, so the hope is creating that connection. What can, what's going to be that one little thing that gets that kid interested in what we're doing to where now they want to learn it on their own. I'm, I'm a history teacher and and I've always, that was always my favorite subject growing up, but I didn't just sit in the classroom and learn from a lecture. A teacher might say one thing and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I go and start looking it up or ask questions or want no more information. And then you become your own, like I said, your own best teacher. And so we've got to be able to, and that's hard because we all have egos in this profession. But if you can let go of that and let go of that a little bit and realize that you don't have to be that lifeline for that kid right now, give them a window, give them an opportunity to to mess up, not say anything to them because they're gonna they're gonna run right to you one why did I screw that up coach? What went wrong? Like, what do you think? You got to tell me, you figure it out. What did it feel like? Where, you know, and, and just, and, and let them go and then let them mess up another time or two. And then, and then if they still don't have it, maybe they just don't have it and they need it now. And so now you can redirect or re- reaffirm or teach them a new concept that maybe they don't understand or at least share it with them and, and then let them start playing with it. But yeah, we, you know, I think that that's a, you're getting the psychology part of it that we could talk 15 hours about that part of it. Yeah. Well, and, and a perfect drill that I love to use for that specific situation. And like you said, Hey, I want to get the players to say good to themselves. A drill that I like to use, especially with a guy whose confidence might not be great or he's been struggling, whether it be in the mound or in the box and whether it be a live AB session or a bullpen, as soon as he lets go of the ball, he has to communicate everything he's thinking out loud. And he can't stop talking until he's set and ready to go into his windup for the next pitch. I want to hear everything that you're thinking out loud. And I want you to hear everything that you're thinking out loud. And I want to hear the guy next to you hearing everything you're thinking out loud. And what that does is it kind of forces into that mentality because when you say something out loud and you go, damn, that was kind of dumb. Or, 
why am I thinking like that? Why, why am I even loitering on that last pitch? Why am I not thinking about what I need to be successful? So when I see a guy who throws a pitch and he goes, damn, like, how are you going to miss it low? Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, come on, man. Like, that's not, that's the, that's a bad pitch. Like, come on. All right. Hey, we need to get back in it. Like, let's go. Versus a guy that's saying, all right, hey, uh, missed that curveball. It slipped a little bit. Uh, I'm thinking I'm probably going to go fastball up and in on this next pitch. I think I'm going to catch him. And so he's already going to that. How am I going to win the next pitch instead of loitering on the pass? So when I make these guys do that out loud speaking and I, and I let them do it a couple of times and then I go, hey, man, why are you talking so much about the last pitch? No one here cares about the last pitch. No one cares about your shitty performance. They care about what you're going to do next, next to correct a bad performance. Right. So voice that. And what that slowly does in those drills is it creates them constantly having to talk about the positive or what are they going to do next to be successful, right? And it's that 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 nice you know, being able to hear it out loud for themselves and for the coach, there's no hide it. And it's very difficult when you talk about psychology and neural pathways and everything. It's very hard to consciously say something that you're not actually thinking. So it's difficult to do. So when you make them do drills and the first couple of times they're saying negative stuff and then you make them start saying positive things about how they're going to be proactive in the next pitch, it's going to inherently develop. And their brain is going to create that new neural pathway of who cares about failure? Let's focus on success. And that was something that I took away from my time in the Marine Corps is we always talk about, hey, when your buddy gets shot or or whatever, if you loiter about your buddy getting shot, you're going to get shot. You need to be thinking about how we're going to be proactive so nobody else gets shot, right? Go win the fight and then fix your buddy kind of deal. So it's if I get stuck in the past, well, then there's no way that I can move on to the present or even into the future of how I'm going to be successful. How am I going to maneuver? How am I going to beat the enemy? That's the same thing a pitcher or hitter has got to do is, all right, I'm in this count. What am I going to do to win this at bat kind of deal? Oh, you know, being present is everything, right? That's, I mean, when people talk about the, you know, anxiety they might have, depression that they might have, the lack of confidence, the stress, you know, the, I think the goal of every man, every woman, every child, everybody, right, is is figure out a way to be present to where you're not dwelling on the past. You're not worried about the future. You're just locked into the moment. I, I can remember watching, you know, the last dance on the on the 90s Bulls. And I think one of the last episodes they talk about the thing. Obviously, Michael Jordan was great for a lot of reasons. But the, the thing that I always took away from that special that I really connected with was in the last episode, they talk about Michael Jordan being a mystic. But he had something to where he was always in the present. He never once worried about what had happened before. He never once worried about what might happen. You know, I'm not going to worry about a shot that I haven't taken yet. Like, what is that? Like, that's not even a thing for him. And, and you know, Buddhist monks will spend their whole life, like, trying to find that that ability to just be present. And I think the greatest athletes that have ever lived – whether it be a Michael Jordan, a Tiger Woods, a Muhammad Ali, a Babe Ruth, I'm talking that elite athlete is they've always been able to stay present right now. And I don't know, you know, like I said, the Buddhists spend their whole life trying to get to that place. And so I don't know that that's even necessarily something that can be obtained. But, it, you know, you think about how much better you would be at everything, not just sports. If you can just stay present, like what, like what's going on right now and be able to put all your energy, all your focus, all of your passion and everything into right now, whether it's while you're working with your kids, with your wife, with your, you know, with your own thoughts about what's going on, you know, and, and how can we continue to grow and develop to where we are just present in every situation, you know, you know, the, Depression is what happened to you. Anxiety is what's going to happen to you, you know. And and so if you if you're able to block out that piece of your thinking, now I know what I'm saying. That's hard as hell. Like that's very against human nature to be able to get to that place. But but be able to create that as a goal to where we are just locked into the moment and the moment only. And when that moment's over, it's time for the next moment. And and. Man, imagine how imagine imagine how great everything is if people could get to that place. Well, what's difficult with baseball though is the game is so slow, so it's so hard to I that. I've watched it speed that. up on a bunch of people in my life. That game gets the game gets fast on people in a hurry. 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because they didn't take advantage of the downtime, right? That's why it got so fast on them. Because you would think, hey, I've got all this time to prepare for the next pitch. I have all this time to think through the mental aspect of what I'm going to do in every single scenario that I'm going to get. They don't do that. So the game speeds up mm-hmm. on them when that scenario that they weren't prepared for happens. So, you know, when we do shooting, if you miss a shot, There's no feeling sorry for yourself. There's no time to feel sorry. You need to follow up with the immediate shot in order to remove the problem, right? So it's this, you know, baseball, you might make an error and you don't get another play for five innings. So all these guys do is loiter over that mental Mm -hmm. agony of, man, I made an error in the third inning. What's the eighth inning, dude? Like, where have you been? You've been thinking about an error instead of thinking about every pitch, what you're going to do to be successful for that next pitch. You're still loitering on an error. So what we can do is we can think positive thoughts and we can learn from the error that we made and we can say, hey, all right, this is what happened. This is how it's not going to happen again. And now I need to get into my ready position and get ready to field the next ground ball and do what I got to do and go back to work. Because if you're not taking advantage of that downtime, you're not going to be able to be successful. And the best comparison is football and the two-minute drill. How often is a two-minute drill successful? It's almost like every time I watch a two-minute drill in the mm-hmm. NFL, a, t- a touchdown or a field goal gets scored. I'm like, why are we not doing the hurry up more? It's because no one's thinking. Everyone's reacting. I'm looking at hand signals from the sideline. I'm moving. I'm hearing my quarterback talk. I'm getting in my position, then I'm going. I don't have time to think about being tired. I don't have time to think about my route. I don't have time to think about if I slipped on the last route. All I got to do is get back to the line as fast as I can, get on the ball, and do the next play. And then we score. Now, how do I slow that mindset down to where – because you would think it's the opposite of, hey, I've got an hour between ground balls that I'm going to get in a baseball game. I should be able to do as much preparation in that one hour and I shouldn't screw it up, right? It's as if a a wide receiver can do as many mental reps as he wants between the next play. you know. So it's it's, how do we teach these players that – that dull time is not a time to be relaxed. It's a more of a time to that mental preparation because think about you as a coach. How exhausted are you at the end of a game? You're mentally playing out every scenario for nine players on a field constantly. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? How am I shifting players? How what play Am I calling a first and third? Am I calling butt defense? Okay, I know this guy doesn't have the best arm, so I need to make sure. You know, I'm doing all these things in my head as a coach, and it's exhausting, right? I feel like we can get players to do the exact same thing, even if it's just for their single position. And those are the ones that could really live in the present because when you've prepared for the present, you have the ability to act in the present. The best, the best coaches that I've coached against now, obviously having the best players is a big part of it, but the best coaches, we, we, we joke about this in our profession. Like some guys just get to roll the ball out, let their guys go. And, I think those are the best coaches. They've some whether they have the best players or they have the best pre- prepared players. They and they might be ruthless in their practice and, and relentless in how they handle their guys. But when it comes game time, hey guys, there's the ball. Go play and let's see what happens. And then I, the the very best coaches that I've ever seen and competed against are the ones that are like the most relaxed the whole time because they're just letting the game happen. They're just letting it go, trusting their guys. Their guys know that they're trusted, which is extremely empowering to a player when they know like, hey, coach is letting me go on this. And the guy knows, you know, if you have – if you really want to have a system, you know, with how your offense is going to operate, how your defense is going to operate, how your pitching is going to operate – then they should be able to understand that and not have to need you throwing it up in their ear all the time or, or calling everything that, you know, if, if, if you love your guys drag bun for hits and they know that and you build it into your practices and get them to understand what good times for, you don't have to call it. They're going to bunt for that hit when the game requires them to bunt for that hit. And, and that's the best time. Like it's, and and again, I think that's a lot easier for college guys. More, you know, and obviously for professionals, just being a more mature player uh, at the high school level, we have to, you know, we have to have a little bit more training wheels on that. But but those teams that really are the best teams are the most prepared. They are getting very 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 little coaching when the game is 
being played. There's a there's a guy here. There's a, a coach here, one of the best coaches in the country, and I've gotten to know him pretty good over a few years. A, a guy named Larry Vukan is the head coach at South Lake Carroll. They just won their third state title in 6A here in Texas in the last four years. They're nationally ranked every year, and they have very good players. But you watch them, and he's a cheerleader more than anything else. Now, I've heard that his practices, he gets after it, and there's a bunch of stuff in there. It's it's constant, constant, constant. But, when, I, but I've never seen that because I've never been one of their practices. All I know is when it comes game time, he's just out there enjoying watching his guys play, and they play freaking well. And very little does is, is there ever times where I think he's tried to control what's going on in the game. He's just letting them go. Well, you know, you said it a couple times there, and you talk about having the best players help, right? And I'll tell you this, a common theme that I used to say last year, especially in, and especially during this summer when we're talking about recruiting, you know, obviously as soon as the season ends, our, our coaches go off to recruit and, uh, you know, get the get the next uh, generation of, of D1 baseball players in here. And, you know, we're, we're West Coast Conference. We're a mid-major baseball team, and, yeah, we're Division One, but, you know, you're not always going to draw in the best talent at the time. And I used to always say, who cares? We'll develop them. I mean, Brock Ungrich is one of the – he's like a, hit, a hitter's whisper. Like he just knows how to kind of get into a hitter's brain and, and connect on a wavelength that I've never seen before to get results that he wants. Same with, with Matt Floor, with his pitchers, their ability to see what's in front of them and then mold – the pot that they have is is brilliant and beautiful all at the same time where who cares if you don't have the best player at that time? Who cares that, that – because everybody that comes into a freshman class, everybody's on the same playing field, right? Every But you're kind of ranking them from how good they were in their last thing that they did. I'm focused on how good I can make them at the next thing they're going to do. I'm going to develop the hell out of this dude. I don't care what he was – you know. He, he committed to my university and he's going to come play for my baseball team. I'm going to develop the hell out of him and I'm going to make him the next thing that goes into the next round. You know, I'm, I'm proud to say we had four guys in the top 10 rounds of the draft this year that honestly, before this season, people probably didn't even know their name. And that is all about, that's a testament to our coaching staff to being able to look at who those players are and develop them into the potential that they really can maximize. Because again, I firmly believe baseball is not a physical sport. Baseball is a mental sport and it's also how you teach and how you develop, which goes into a lot of what I've discussed with you in the past on how we layer and approach our practices, not hitting every day, not fielding every day. It's really all about how I can retain the information I've learned, how I can maximize that potential that I have by really getting myself as much experience and limiting a lot of that, you know, muddledness that you get in a practice or game setting. Well, I think here's the, here's the question you have to ask yourself if you're a coach or if you're a trainer, if you're developing guys or the question is, am I liberating a player? Or am I controlling a player? And we've got to create liberated players to where just like I've, I've already we've bounced back a lot already in this this time period is is the best players are gonna be the ones that control that they control themselves that that think for themselves that understand the game themselves that that know that have that how to win awareness that HWA where I know what the game needs me to do right now I'm prepared I'm ready I'm confident I know my coach trusts me I know my teammates trust me and then you can I think when you have those elements in play now you can get to that that Zen like stay in the moment and stay in nothing else is going to matter right now because I'm free. I'm a liberated player. Nothing has, I don't have a coach trying to handcuff me. I don't have a trainer trying to handcuff me. I don't have parents trying to handcuff me. I don't have teammates trying to handcuff me. I don't have the game trying to handcuff me. I can just go play it. And our, our good friend, coach Daniel Oshlegel, that offensive coordinator at Granberry down here has he he's something that he always says is teach don't tell and I love that and you know teach a teach a man how to fish and they'll fish for a lifetime right and and so I think if you can get to that part of it but again it's it's nuanced right every single kid is going to be different but you've got to be able to give them the information be able to see that they can think the information for themselves without relying on you to just constantly give it to them and then see that they can go into a game without that extra pressure, without that extra weight, 
and then let them go. And when you do that, man, you special, special, special things can happen. Yeah, but it takes a very special coach to be able to be that type of leader because, you know, and I'll, I'll give you a great example. And, and the guys that I mentioned, you know, Chase Mydroth, uh, Caleb Ricketts, you know, Bryson Motts, Ian Churchill, these are the guys that we had drafted this year. When, when Caleb Ricketts and Chase Mydroth were in the box and it was maybe the eighth or ninth inning and, you know, maybe there's a runner on second or third or whatever, you know, Coach Ungrich gives his signs – and sometimes they're just not even looking. And, you know, Coach Ungrich has that wherewithal to turn around and just kind of look at the dugout and be like, all right, they got it. Like, I don't need to say that we're putting on a steal here. I don't need to tell them that we're taking a pitch. Like, they just don't even turn around and look at him. They don't look at the third base coach. They don't do anything. They just get back in the box. They put their foot down, and then they know that they're going to work. But it takes a special kind of coach that also has that self-confidence, not only in himself but in his players, to not take offense to that, where it's like, hey, son, you need to be looking at me. I control this game. I'm the guy that's running this show. It's like, well, you're not running this show. Again, it goes back to your South Lake Carroll head coach story. Hey, I'm here to kind of – be the bumpers on bumper, you know, bumper bowling. You roll the ball down. I'm just kind of hoping it gets into the pins, kind of deal, you know. But I think, yeah, if you can, yeah, for sure. I, and which is hard to do, right? It's hard to, as a coach to say, "Hey, I let them just go and play." Like I don't need to well, control. How about this? It, how do you validate your own self uh, when you're doing that? It takes a big ego to be able to let your ego go. Right. I mean, yeah. no, that, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Let that spin, let that percolate in the old cerebellum <laughs> right there. Like, you got to have a hell of an ego to be able to put your ego aside. And, and I think that that's, there's, yeah, because we want, you know, we coaches coach for the right reasons, but we're also humans. We're also, we want to, we want to feel like we're responsible for the success. We want to feel like, you know, we had some a hand in it. We want to feel like, you know, it helps give us our validation. Should it? Probably not. You know, it should come down to you're doing it for the kid because you're that kid needs you and you've done everything you can to help put him in a position to be successful. And I think that that's, that's true for just about everybody, but we still have that. You have that. We all have that. We have that, that, that deep down in us, there's that subconscious piece that, says like I want to matter to what's going on. I want to be important to what's going on here. And and that can be crippling because it, it forces you to want to control what's going on. And as a coach, you can control the practice, you can control the drills, you can control the 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 pattern of teaching and the way that you're installing something and the way that you are redirecting and the way that you are going back and answering questions. But when it's time to roll it out, there's nothing you can do now. There's nothing you can do now. And if we've created players that are still relying on us to bail them out when things get hard for them, we're not going to be very good. Or we're going we're gonna to underachieve for sure. And that's why I always like to remind myself that the players' successes are theirs and, our, and their failures are the coaches, right? If, if a player does well and he goes four for four, it's because he had a good day. If he goes over four, it's because the coach failed to prepare him appropriately. Um, you got to have that mindset of that servant leader and a guy that knows that, hey, you know, this is what it is. And and at the end of the day, like I don't have control. I'm, a, I'm the head baseball coach here, but I do not have control of that situation that's happening at that time. Um, and, and, you know, you're 100% correct on that. And, uh, you know, on that, I'll say – I've had a blast doing this first episode. I want to say that we Kylie, you know, advise guys to reach out. We want guys on the show. We want to, we want to talk to parents, players, coaches, any topic is, is available up for discussion. We're here to, to pick the brains of you and for you to pick the brains of us and for us to take a lot of different approaches to this game. And, um, you know, I'm excited about this, Kyle. You know, what do you got? Yeah. I mean, ultimately we all want to grow the game and we're looking for ways to do that. And, you know, I mean, what's one more podcast to the world, right? But, uh, you know, this is something that that we think the the more information we can get out there the and, and, and not necessarily have it specifically streamlined. We talk a lot about psychology tonight. It's not always necessarily going to be about that. It can be, 
you know, we, we hope to have guests on. We hope to bring people into this. We hope, hope we want to have as many discussions as we can, just getting information out there to people. I know this. We talked for however long tonight. It might have been absolute rambling incoherentness for the whole thing. But if one guy hears it and gets one five second thing that he can use, then the whole thing was worth it. Right. And so, and, and we've all benefited from that. We've, I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different podcasts or different things that I've heard, read, listen to people talk where they might go on and on and on and on and on forever, but that nugget's going to be somewhere in there for somebody. And so that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out ways to give a few extra nuggets to whoever might be seeking them out. And so, um, like I said, yeah, for coaches, for players, for fans, for parents. I know we when we were talking about this idea, we talked about one, you know, some of the frustrations that we have in recruiting, you being on the college side of it, me being on the high school side of it, and how how difficult that those waters are to maneuver for so many people right now. Coaches too, you know, everybody thinks it's, you know, the players and the the parents that are struggling right now is the coaches too having to manage a lot of this stuff. And so we want to be able to have a, a you know, jump into that and really you know, sink our teeth into that part of it. So there's a lot of different things that we want to talk about within this podcast. And, and quite honestly, this is a very grassroots thing. I don't know what it's going to become. I don't know how many people are going to listen. If anybody does at all, it doesn't matter right now. We're just putting, we're going to push some stuff out there and see, see if anybody takes the bait. So, uh, Obviously, you're my brother, and so I always enjoy talking to you, and and I love that you're in this this world with me now, and and we can really get into all kind of different things. And so, if nothing else, this is just going to be like a f- conversation that we can have on the phone that is accessible to anybody who wants to listen to it. So, if nobody listens to it, at the end of the day, I got to talk to my brother for a little bit. So that's all I care about. Well, we appreciate you, Baseball World, for listening into our first episode on how we got here, and uh, again, Kyle, I love you, brother, love and. We will uh, we'll see you guys on episode two. Thanks, everybody. You guys have a good one. See you.